Hey, if you've struggled to put on muscle, if you don't know what it takes to put on one to two pounds of muscle each week, I'm here to tell you that you will learn how to do just that with this episode. There's no reason that you should be able to put on one to two pounds of muscle and have that muscle be applicable to the basketball court. We're going to teach you what functional hypertrophy means. And we're going to teach you the practices and the protocols to use in the weight room to put on muscle, not just to get bigger, but to get faster and to get more explosive and to improve your vertical jump and to improve your durability so that you can last throughout the season injury free. This episode is all about that, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you apply those practices so you don't get pushed around on the basketball court and you develop the body that will help you be a more dominant basketball player. Enjoy this episode, and we'll catch you later. All right, we are streaming live on Facebook, Elite Training for Basketball podcast, episode number 16. Starting to uh, develop and get a little library going here uh, of episodes. Coach Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are we doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm excited to talk about hypertrophy. My beard has experienced some great hypertrophy in the last few weeks. Looks like yours has too. I haven't touched it all month. Yeah, it's been about a month for me. And uh, again, the, the grays are coming through. Hopefully I look a little a little wiser with that, but it is what it is. Um, hypertrophy, man, it's such a huge topic. Um, what have you, you know, I like to start, just talk a little bit about our own training. And, uh, you know, we're, we're both males and, and we, you know, typical males like to, you know, your arms are never big enough. Your chest is, never, exactly. Your, your arms are never big enough. Your chest is never big enough. Um, what has been your training experience uh, personally with hypertrophy? I'm curious to know myself because I don't even know. Uh, yeah, that's really funny. Um, I would say the, the, the middle of my career and obviously in high school and before I even got into strength and conditioning, all I really knew how to do was hypertrophy was make it really hard, make it suck and the muscles will grow. And that's yeah. pretty much, I think, uh, what everyone thinks of is like, how hard can I push myself to make these things grow? And um, I think... I did that for a long time. I got into strength and conditioning and I started kind of adjusting how I train. I started doing more strength, a little bit more like power exercises, but you know, the, you don't never really lose that kind of grind to just, you know, get the veins popping and kind of see yourself pushing beyond what you think is comfortable. And I think now in my later adult life, I, I spend more time doing lower reps with higher weight to induce more of like a sarcolemic hypertrophy. I'm sorry, 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 take that back. More like a myofibrillar hypertrophy. So I get more of my uh, type two fibers activated and I get growth through the type twos as opposed to growth through the type one fibers. And um, it served me well. I, I, I tend to keep the injuries down because I'm not doing so much repetition. Um, and that's tend to serve me pretty well. And you can never go wrong with strong. You can never go wrong with strong. I like that. You actually mentioned my shirt earlier. It looks like the stranger things uh, symbol, but it says stronger things. Most people miss that. Oh, so, I love it. Yeah, me and you both, man. We, we, we love being strong. We love teaching strength. Um, so, but we got to talk about hypertrophy today. Myself, um, a couple things come to mind, and I didn't even know I was going to ask that question. So, this is just off the cuff. But I remember uh, graduated high school at 175, and I was, you know, six foot three, maybe four, you know, on a good day. And um, 
I was always like, dad, you know, I want to gain. And I didn't know anything about training back then. And, and so, you know, he's like, you'll fill out eventually, you know, you'll get, <laughs> um, and then, you know, throughout college, I put on a few pounds. I think I graduated around 190. And then when I started playing professionally, I was around 200. And then one summer, um, it kind of, you know, all the pieces fell together. And again, I did still didn't know what I was doing. I was probably 23, four years old. And, uh, I weighed in at 217 and, you know, my coach is like, you're already white and slow. You don't need to be any slower. You look like a tight end, drop your weight. So I went back down to 205, but um, uh, now I'm sitting around 220. Um, over Christmas, I was closer to 230. Thank you very much. Really <laughs> there. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with where I'm at. You know, as a guy, you always want, like I said, bigger arms, bigger chest, whatever it may be. But um you know, I think the days for me of chasing hypertrophy are over. Um, although, you know, and now though I'm trying to just maintain, I'm trying to keep the muscle on. So um, mm -hmm. that's kind of my hypertrophy story, just off the cuff. Uh, but let's get into it, shall we? I'm in. Yeah. So <laughs> let's just talk um, real quick, right off the bat, practicality things, and then we'll go dig a little deeper into the weeds. Um, how much muscle uh, do you need as a basketball player? Um, how can more muscle help you on the basketball court? Um, obviously, first things come to mind. Um, gosh, I think of guys like LeBron. I think of guys like Zion Williamson, Zion, yeah. you know, Shaquille O'Neal. These guys who who uh, you know are almost immovable objects, um, and yet they are still quick and fast and powerful and explosive. Um, and I know not everybody is genetically gifted like those three names I just said, but. <laughs> From a standpoint of, you know, are you too lean? Are you too skinny? Yeah, some extra muscle can definitely help. Um, the other side of the coin, what I'm thinking about is the, the durability aspect throughout the season. So, you know, Zion takes a lot of beef and, and LeBron did too early in his career and he's proven that he can sustain a season at the weight that he has. But um, a lot of guys, a lot of girls tend to lose, you know, five kilos, you know, 10, 15 pounds um, throughout the course of a basketball season. Um, so just having that muscle on your body um, can help you be more durable, can, can help you um, be less injury, uh, injury prone, and as well as just help you to get through the season. Um, is that the same? I know you were a rugby player in football. Um, was there a lot of guys losing weight throughout the season? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty common as you go from off season where you're not practicing quite as much, you're more lifting yeah. weight. And then as you shift the focus from the weight room more to the field skills, I think it's pretty common. Um, most teams I know tend to stop lifting during season. Yeah. So they kind of stop doing that maintenance uh, on the muscle hypertrophy. And so I think it's pretty common for most athletes who to lose weight during season if they're not lifting during season, or at least trying to maintain or doing some type of weight room activity to maintain like those type two muscle activations and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's important. So um, why can't most basketball players grow? Um, very easy, too many calories out, not enough calories in. That's really the bottom line with you basketball players as you go throughout the season and you're burning um, or as you are going through the off season, trying to grow and you simply can't do it. Um, I just made a video for, for y'all in the group, for those of you who, who asked for it, about gaining mass. And it's not that difficult. I say it's simple, 
but it's not easy. And those are two totally different things. The three, the three okay. building blocks are you have to train hard, you have to eat enough food, and you have to sleep enough. And if you do those three things, you'll grow. It's, it's quite simple. It's um, the Goku philosophy. It's a what? A Goku from Dragon Ball Z. All he does is train, eat, and sleep. And he's that's literally it. It's all you got to do. I will have to look up the Goku philosophy after this. We have a Dragon Ball Z reference. First time, episode 16. I love it. You're a few years younger than me. You may have been a, were you a Dragon Ball Z kid growing up? I mean, who doesn't like Dragon Ball Z? <laughs> um, so yeah, eat enough, uh, which we'll get into a little bit later. We'll get into those three pillars, but, but that's a big reason why basketball players can't grow. Um, Sean, do you want to start in talking about functional hypertrophy and how it makes you a better athlete? Or do you want me to, to jump in with that as well? Like I'm talking uh, about no, go ahead. Go ahead and take that, and I'll just kind of, I'll just kind of peep in when I think we need to. Yeah. So, so another thing I said we would talk about, and we'll get into it deeper. But what is functional hypertrophy? How does it make you a better athlete? We're going to go into more deep the rep ranges and how they influence muscle hypertrophy versus muscle strength. Um, but functional hypertrophy is typically that six to eight rep range. It's that sweet spot of, um, you know, six and below or five and below is really you're getting into that strength. And then eight to 12, that moderate rep range, you're really getting into that traditional hypertrophy or growth zone. And so six to eight is kind of right there in the middle where it's touching on the strength side, but it's also touching on the hypertrophy side. And the hypertrophy that you get is actually functional in that you are being able to use it on the basketball court. So functional hypertrophy um, in that six to eight rep range will allow you to grow, um, assuming the, the load of, on the bar is, is accurate, but it will allow you to grow at the same time, be able to use and apply that muscle practically on the basketball court. Um, so you won't get too big, you won't get too maximally strong if you can look at it like that. And so typically functional hypertrophy in that six to eight rep range um, is, is a really good sweet spot for me. And, and I use it a lot for my athletes and it seems to work really, really well. Yeah, with, uh, with the functional hypertrophy, it's, for me, it's hypertrophy growing the type two muscle fibers. So as athletes, our type two muscle fibers are responsible for speed, strength and power. And when we're growing hypertrophy, we can actually hypertrophy type one muscle fibers or type two muscle fibers. So with the functional hypertrophy, as we work our way down the scale of reps, we're actually growing our type two muscle fibers, which are the ones that are responsible for speed, strength, and power. So, you know, the adage is mass moves mass. And so if you have a little bit more muscle mass, you can move your body a little bit more, but it's also that muscle mass that's made out of the function, we say functional for athleticism, it's I have more growth in the muscle fibers that allow me to produce force explosively. So we're growing the muscle fibers that are more closely related with speed, strength and power adaptations on the court. So um, you see a lot of bodybuilders and they're typically in that like really high rep range and like the 20 plus 15 to 20 and they're doing, you know, burnout reps. That's a different kind of hypertrophy. It affects a different muscle fiber and it affects a different system on the body. And those are going to be more the type one muscle fiber activation, which is your low threshold, 
uh, like all your postural muscles are type one. A lot of your support muscle groups are type one muscle fibers, but a lot of your big compound muscles, like most of your quads, your glutes, pecs, backs, lats, all the big compound muscles are typically made out of type two muscle fibers. And so we're talking functional hypertrophy. We're talking about growing the muscle fibers that are related to sport action. You know, you mentioned bodybuilding and, um, you know, we did a, a, a episode on that a while back and, and bodybuilding and the philosophies there have really infiltrated and have really influenced the way athletes train. And so we talked about unlearning bodybuilding. Um, <laughs> and one thing that, that I think athletes need to need to go away from is what you just said is those, those higher rep ranges. And so many, I'm telling you so many basketball players, they're training throughout the season and they're getting bigger, they're getting stronger, they're getting more explosive. And then the season comes and I don't know how many, 80%, I mean, the, the overwhelming majority of people, basketball players have told me, when I get to the basketball season, I, I bring the weight back and I put the reps up and I start doing 10s and 12s and 15s. And I'm like, just wanna pull my hair out. Like you just worked and developed your body to this point of being strong and explosive. And that's what you need on the basketball court. And now you're going to go try and train like a bodybuilder during the season. You're going to get slower. You're, you're going to do a whole lot of things that you don't want to do to your body. So, um, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, another thing about bodybuilding and, and why I don't like it for, for basketball players, even though they are big, okay, power lifters as well are, are also big. So think about bodybuilders. Bodybuilders are on stage. they got these big muscles. They're posing power lifters and they do the higher rep ranges these bodybuilders typically they'll do 12s 15s 20s 30s they're going for as much muscle damage as possible um power lifters and they take short rest periods they're driving up lactate production they're doing all these things to enhance muscle breakdown so that they can in, then enhance muscle recovery um, and power lifters are also big and there's some that look like bodybuilders um, uh, but they train entirely different. They train singles, doubles, triples, you know, um, they take extremely long rest periods compared to the bodybuilders. Um, so how do they grow as well as how do the bodybuilders grow? And they're on different ends of the rep spectrum. Um, mm -hmm. and it's interesting to talk about, um, but one thing about the bodybuilders is that most of them at the highest levels, uh, if not all of them are taking drugs. They are, they are taking, they're running some gear. They're, they're, you know, have all the different steroids and, and, and things, enhancements. Um, and so they can recover quicker, but they also typically only train that one day a week type split. So like, you know, a lot, and, and a lot of athletes do this too. They have the, the back and bicep day, and then they'll train their, you know, chest and tricep day, and then they'll do a leg day, and then they'll do a shoulder day. Bodybuilders can get away with that because of all the drugs that they're on. Um, and they, they do, you know, 15, 20 sets uh, on that muscle group in that one single day, and they need seven days to recover. Um, whereas if, as an athlete, if we really want to grow, we know that we need to hit, because we're probably natural, we're probably not on anabolic steroids and trend and all these other things. And so we, we want to hit the muscles at least two times per week. Um, we need to have more stimulus uh, every single week. And the gold standard is typically 10 sets per body group. So if you're trying to grow per muscle group, so if you're trying to grow your, let's say you're trying to grow your chest, um, we, and you do, you do chest on Monday, 
um, and you do say five sets, great. Do another five sets on Thursday. Or if you do, let's say you do four sets uh, of an incline chest press and two to four sets of, you know, uh, flies or whatever. Um, on Thursday, you do four sets of dips and then two to four sets of say a, a, a flat bench press with dumbbells or something similar. Um, we've, we've hit that threshold of 10 sets, but we've done it in two different um, exposures. And we know that the amount of exposures per week for us natural athletes, us natural lifters is more important than doing the bodybuilding split chest chest tries, back buys, legs, and so on. So, um, so I do want, I did want to touch on that. Um, I'm glad you brought up the bodybuilding. Um, can we go into, let's go a little bit deeper now. Can we go yes. into the three types of hypertrophy, myofibrillar, connective tissue hypertrophy, and sarcoplasmic? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, go ahead and, jump into that. Yeah, go ahead and, and start, start running with that. So, uh, we, we did a pretty good job kind of talking about um, type one and type two uh, muscle fiber hypertrophy. And that's kind of what we're talking about. We're talking the difference between bodybuilders growing muscle and athletes growing muscle is, is that myofibrillar hypertrophies, the myofibrils are, are the small pieces of actual muscle fiber that's growing. Um, bodybuilders tend to have more sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. So the sarcoplasm is what surrounds the cell right. and the myofibrils are inside the sarcoplasm. So kind of what I think about is having a cup and if you have straws in your cup, like I'm, I'm looking down at my cup right here and someone who's doing more um, myofibular hypertrophy has the same size cup, but that cup is jam packed full of straws and right. all those straws are muscle fibers versus someone who has more sarcoplasmic hypertrophy has a bigger cup with less straws in that cup. So the muscle looks bigger because the cell size is bigger, but that doesn't mean there's more muscle fibers inside that cell. And so when we're talking about different kinds of hypertrophy, that's kind of the difference between the type one muscle fiber growth, the type two muscle fiber growth is how much actual muscle fiber growth are we getting versus how much cellular growth we're getting. Um, and then for hypertrophy, um, for the, the connective tissue, it's really important to make sure we're loading the weight and having a higher intensity to help train the connective tissue like the fascia and the tendon and the ligament because it's actually really common for bodybuilders to get evulsion fractures. And an evulsion fracture is where the muscle rips off the bone, kind of like a, like a, a green twig sort of snaps and it kind of doesn't break off, but it kind of just pulls. Right. Um, and so what the cause of that is, is the muscle is so strong because they've done so much targeted muscle growth and the intensity was relatively light. So we're talking probably 50, 60, 40 to 60% intensity, which right. targets the muscle, but it doesn't give enough stimulus for the connective tissue to stay strong. And so the muscle ends up getting so much more overdeveloped is in comparison to the connective tissue that the muscle pulls the connective tissue off the bone. Um, and that's more common with bodybuilders than it is with like strength athletes, because we know that lower rep, higher intensity, and by intensity, I mean percentage of one RM or load, higher intensity exercises trains more of the connective tissue, especially isometrics um, yeah. and eccentrics. But we know we're getting more connective tissue strength through that. So it's a lot more common to build more robust ligaments, tendons, and fascia tissue from that lower, I'm sorry, from that higher intensity, lower rep 
type of training. So when we're talking those different types of muscle hypertrophy, um, we're talking about targeting type two fibers, type one fibers, or the connective tissue. Yeah. And it's really important to note, and you know, you, Sean mentioned type one and type two fibers, um, and I'm not going to pull up the graph, but I've talked about it uh, almost every episode about uh, basketball is um, 60% in that ATP PCR system, 20% in the glycolytic system and then 20% in the oxidative. So what that means is we're using type two fibers the vast majority of the game. You don't vertical jump slowly. You don't take a first step and try to beat a defender slowly. You don't, um, you know, make uh, defensive slide movements to try to keep the guy, you know, dribbling the basketball in front of you slowly. These are all fast, quick, explosive movements. And so, and those are all type two muscle fiber movements um, uh, predominantly. And so we need to train them as such. And when we go heavier, the important thing to know um, and it, it's out there in a study and I, I can pull it up if anybody asks me for it, I can try and find it. Um, they've shown that uh, muscle failure is more important to hypertrophy than the actual rep ranges. Yep. Um, that's the reason yep. why power lifters can get big as well as bodybuilders can get big. Bodybuilders try to trash their body like we talked about. They create so much muscular damage. Um, power lifters don't so much but they are attempting the heaviest lifts almost every time, you know, um, they're, they're, they're going, like I said, singles and doubles and triples and these huge loads, um, they, they are going to fail you quite often. And so that's going to contribute to hypertrophy more. So what I like to do with my athletes and what I recommend for you is at least 50% of your sets go to failure. Um, now there's two types of failure, which a lot of people don't talk about technical failure. They talk about muscular failure. That's you trying to push a weight and your muscles literally don't go. Um, technical failure is two reps before that, you're twerking and, and spinning and twisting on the bench, okay? Your form went to shit, your form is bad now. All right, bring it back. Um, we want strict form every time. We want technical reps. We need you to rehearse the movement rehearse the movement correctly because movement precedes muscle. So do the movement correctly. Don't have that technical breakdown, that technical failure, do the lift correctly. And then um, allow for muscular failure though. Don't, don't be that fish out of water squirming around or those chin-ups where people are, you know, looking like a fish out of water. Okay. Have a technical proficiency with your lifts. Um, but muscle failure is important. So 50% is what I shoot for. Uh, when we're going for hypertrophy, um, someone like Sean, who does a lot of Olympic lifting, he might do, you know, doubles at 75%. Um, it's not technically a true double, but he's also not working on hypertrophy in that lift. He's working on form. He's working on function. He's working on probably one or two specific things every time he's, he's going after it. Um, but we're talking about those presses, those rows, those chin-ups, those deadlifts, those squats. If you need to grow and if you want to grow, we got to take at least half of our sets to failure. I'm with you on that. Uh, that's something that a lot of people don't quite realize. Uh, regardless of the rep range, exactly what Phil said, the rep range is less important than it is the failure at the end of each rep range. And so um, that's why you can get big on bodybuilding doing 20 reps, 25 reps, but those 25 reps, they're grunting, they're stressed. At the end of that, it's they almost can't lift the weight. The same thing is, uh, it's the same on the opposite end of the scale. 
uh, I was doing like 80% back squats for, you know, four by four yesterday and I was struggling and I almost didn't make my last rep, but it's the failure that is the most important part. So we're working on that. Uh, the stress level, the strain factor at the end of your set is almost more important to hypertrophy than is uh, than the weight you're lifting. Because if you're lifting, I mean, 135 pounds on your bench press, but you did it 10 times, but we know that you could have done that 15 times, you haven't quite reached your threshold for hypertrophy because of the strain factor, that stress level wasn't inducing enough stress. It's, it's a stress response. Your body responds to stress. There's a, we talk about all the time, the said principle, there's a specific adaptation to impose demand. And so this specific adaptation we're looking for is hypertrophy. Well, the demand for hypertrophy needs to be stress. It needs to be strained at whatever the rep level is and whatever the intensity level is. Um, there is, there is plenty of good research. Uh, one of my favorite um, Instagram accounts, it produces all research. It does a ton of infographics. It's a Brad Schofield, Schofield. Schoenfield. Yeah. I have to we'll put it in the notes. I'll find it for you. But um, his whole Instagram is just infographics of hypertrophy and just reiterating the point that it's every rep range you could potentially grow muscle um, based on the strain. What kind of muscle? Type one, type two. Uh, they're going to be different depending on the range that you're in, but they will absolutely grow. You know, Schoenfeld is really the uh, you know you hit the nail on the head. He he is the king of uh, of hypertrophy. Um, and we can we can put that in the comments in the notes below. Um, but you mentioned reps, so I just wanted to bring this up. This is a very simple, uh, you know, repetition continuum. Uh, we know that strength is typically around one to five. Traditional hypertrophy between six and twelve, and local endurance or stamina is twelve plus. Again, in basketball, we need to be on this side of the spectrum. Um, you can still grow down here, but failure needs to be there. Um, and and so what Schoenfeld, what I've heard him mention before and talk about is as it, so hypertrophy is a dose relationship in response with volume. And so volume is just your overall amount of reps. If you take all of the sets times the amount of reps that you did in a workout, that's volume. The more your volume goes up, typically the more hypertrophy goes up. So you can do three sets of 10, which is kind of that, you know, traditional, you know, workout lifting, you know, level, um, um, three sets of 10 is 30 reps. Okay. You're working here in hypertrophy though. You're not really working in strength. You could also do 10 sets of three, get a lot more hella strong. Okay. And you're still hitting that volume of 30 reps, but you're doing 10 sets of three. So the weight that you're moving is much heavier because you can only do a certain amount of weight for three reps versus what you can do for 10 reps. So it's really important. It's a dose relationship with, with, uh, uh, with um, hypertrophy with volume, okay? So your volume has to be there. We talked about 10 sets. I didn't say this part, but 10 sets is twice as productive for hypertrophy. It will create twice as much growth um, if you, as opposed to if you just do four sets or five sets in a week on a specific muscle group. Now that sounds kind of easy. I mean, I mean, 10 is five times two, but we just said, and Schoenfield has shown it in his scientific studies and meta-analyses that um, uh, there is that dose relationship with uh, hypertrophy and volume. So get down here, go heavier. Again, 
six is fine. I think even eight, we talked about six to eight earlier. Um, but as you're in the season, as you're getting closer to the season and you really want to start being more explosive and strong, um, we need to get down into that strength, that strength phase. And then we talked about, uh, or Sean talked about earlier, muscle fiber type. Um, it's important to know uh, the different fiber type makeup of the different muscles. Um, and that can be a very good thing uh, when you're wanting to grow a specific muscle group. So for example, the biceps femoris is one of your hamstrings and so is the semi-tendinosis and the semi-membranosis. These are all fast twitch, okay? They're all very strong, very strong muscles. Um, if you look at the, um, the rectus abdominis, okay? The six pack, the front, the abdominals that you see, the rectus abdominis is fast twitch. Then why are every why is everybody doing 20 reps and 30 reps and 40 reps of abdominals? When it's a fast twitch muscle, you need to train it as such. You need to train it in that fast twitch uh, uh, fiber type, which is down here more often. So, um, so when you're training your abs, as an example, um, train it according to its fiber type. Train it with in heavier weight, lower reps. Um, and the same goes for, as you can see, the majority of our body is fast twitch. Um, and I can share this if anybody asks. I'm happy to do that. Um, Sean, any, any thoughts on, on that? Um, you, mentioned the, you mentioned the three sets of 10 protocol. Um, yeah. That's If you guys are interested in that, it's the DeLorme and Watkins protocol. That's uh, from like the 60s was a study they did to study muscle hypertrophy. But the goal wasn't to do three sets of 10. The goal was to do three sets of maybe 10. So you do three by eight one week and then you failed there and then you did three by nine the next week and then you worked up to three by ten and that was this, the the signal to say hey look we accomplished this now let's change the stimulus and so that reiterates the idea that we want to train to muscular failure for whatever the rep range was you see a lot of people they jump into a three by ten rep scheme and they smash ten and they just put the weight up and like yep cool three by ten i did it but again it doesn't quite match the intensity and the like reps to mechanical failure right speaking of mechanical failure did you want to yeah. get into mechanical tension and metabolic stress and muscle damage you read my mind i was actually looking at that right now yeah let's talk about those three things go ahead um so when we're looking at muscle hypertrophy we're looking at muscle hypertrophy in uh two to three different ways right and so uh when we're thinking about growing we have metabolic stress we'll start there um so metabolic stress is using lower intensities and higher rep ranges. This is the predominant factor of how bodybuilders tend to increase their hypertrophy is they use a lot more metabolic stress. And um, what that means is they're creating less muscle damage. And instead of creating muscle damage, they're increasing um, metabolites in the bloodstream. And the metabolites are buildup of lactate and hydrogen ions. Um, and what they do is they create a low oxygen environment in the muscle. It's that burn, that burn you feel is the buildup of lactate and hydrogen. It's that, that the, the pump people seek is the buildup of metabolites. And so bodybuilding actually commonly has rep schemes in place to increase the, um, the metabolic stress. So things like drop sets, things like burnouts, those are things that are meant to increase the arterial blood flow into the muscle but they reduce the venous return. So you're constantly pumping in blood, but you're doing so much work, you're not allowing the body to rest and you're not allowing the body to clear the lactate and the metabolites. And so what ends up happening is you get this overflow of 
of lactate and hydrogen ions. And they signal gene expression to the DNA to grow muscle because you get a dose response of insulin growth factor, growth hormone, testosterone, um, and all the other hormones that increase protein synthesis. Um, but we're doing this with a really low intensity. So, I mean, I can't do, I can't do my one RM 25 times. And so I'm to do 25 reps, I have to be probably my 40 to 50% uh, of my one RM. And so there are benefits to this. Um, one of the benefit is it is not creating as much muscle damage. And so what we're seeing now with professional athletes, especially for in-season athletes, um, stuff like blood flow restriction training or blood occlusion training, or at least anybody in the gym with like a tourniquet uh, type thing on their body, what they're trying to do is they're creating pressure at the like proximal origination of a limb. And what that does is allows the blood from your heart to pump into the muscle, but you cut it off and you don't let the blood leave. And so what you're doing is you're constantly filling the blood more metabolites, which is gonna get a bigger response of that. Like we talked about the insulin growth factor, the growth hormone, testosterone, uh, and some of those other hormones that increase protein synthesis. And so like uh, BFR bands are common right now. Tourniquets are common. Uh, there's a Katsu machine that'll, uh, it's got a little box and it, it's about a seven out of 10 pressure is, is like the layman's term for it, but it's actually trying to measure your, uh, your blood pressure. It'll actually measure your blood pressure and then it'll cut off to a specific uh, point of blood pressure. But there's lots of really good research on BFR. Um, again, the main component of it is building up these metabolites and these hormones, um, but it plays into, because I'm not damaging the muscle to grow, I'm increasing hormones to grow. Um, and so that that is pretty big when we're talking about in-season athletes. I don't want to have muscle damage because that's typically where you're going to get the soreness and the delayed onset muscle soreness, the DOMS, comes from a lot of muscle damage. Yep. Um, and so we can grow, um, we can grow muscle in that low, that low, um, low weight range. And then also as a side effect, if I do workouts to fatigue, I burn out my type one muscle fibers, they've used up their energy. Well, if I'm continuously trying to, con uh, if I'm continuously trying to do more reps, um, I might increase my uptake of type two muscle fibers to assist those burnt out and fatigued type one muscle fibers. So there is a little bit of uh, type two muscle activation when doing this blood flow restriction, which can aid in the muscular growth. It might not be the major reason, but it is another reason. Yeah. So that metabolic stress, again, it's more hormonal change, which is very different than what we'll talk about next is mechanical stress. And so mechanical stress is quite the opposite. So mechanical stress is it's basically muscle damage, right? And so this happens when we're lifting heavier weights. Higher weight equals higher protein degradation. And what I'm doing, why that's a good thing is because when I degrade the muscle protein actually turns on the system to increase protein synthesis. Your body's like, hey, I need that muscle. What are you doing? Don't degrade my muscle protein. And it kicks on protein synthesis to help you grow. So mechanical stress is using a higher weight lower reps. This is the power lifters. This is the weight lifters. This is your strength power athletes. They're using this mechanical stress to increase muscle growth by damaging the muscle itself. Um, and so there are two different types of muscle growth. Um, there's a third in there. I, I, I don't have the info pulled up on a uh, third one. It's similar to, it's similar to mechanical stress, but yeah, that mechanical stress, the mechanical stress is going to be 
So you get just muscle damage. Yeah. And so that mechanical stress induces and metabolic stress. Yeah, induces muscle damage. Um, and that muscle damage is it is kind of micro tears in the muscle when you're straining. The muscle fibers are getting damaged, but that damage to the muscle is what signals the DNA to grow new muscle. You got anything out of that, Phil? Well, I just want to go a step further too. So you mentioned like the three ways. There's there's three types of hypertrophy, which we kind of covered: myofibrillar connective tissue and sarcoplasmic. Seventy um, percent of muscle is that myofibrillar protein, so that should be kind of the the if, if we're trying to grow, that's going to be our biggest bang for our buck, is we're trying to hit the myofibrillar. Uh, protein, the myofibrillar hypertrophy, 20% sarcoplasmic, um, and then 10% is actually the mitochondrial uh, proteins. Yeah, yeah, gotta love the mitochondria. Side note of my mitochondria, um, did you know that our mitochondria in the human body peaks at the age of nine? <laughs> I did not know that. After that, it's downhill. And I'm like, God, why'd you do that to us? Like, why do we have, like, like, no wonder kids are always like bouncing around and high energy. They have all the oxygen to the yeah. blood. They never run out of energy. That's yeah, funny. yeah. Um, a cool thing about, um, you mentioned protein synthesis, um, mm -hmm. lactate production. Lactate mm -hmm. production increases protein synthesis. Mm -hmm. uh, it will help your muscles grow big and strong. Um, lactate production actually also increases testosterone and growth hormone. Mm -hmm. Um, and because of that, because of the growth hormone production, it helps aid in fat loss much more efficiently than a cardio would do. That's a side note. So that burning is a good thing. That lactate, that lactic acid buildup, that's a good thing that helps produce bigger, stronger muscles. Um, you want to go into rep schemes and kind of some things that we like to do? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's get into the fun stuff. Yeah. So like we talked about, I mean, I mean, coach Sean and I both love strength. I mean, anything over eight for me is like an endurance set. I think any, for Sean, anything over four or five, it's like, gosh, I need to sit down for a minute. And nap. It's tough. It's tough. But um, remember failure is the most important part. Um, some of my favorite growth um, rep schemes. First one that came to mind when I was writing these down, six, 12, 25. 61225 is hugely successful. Charles Poliquin made it really popular because it drives such a high amount of growth hormone. Um, so you do um, basically the same muscle group for, uh, and you typically go faster each exercise with no rest in between. So let's say we're training the posterior chain. We may do a, let's say a deadlift for six. Okay. You have no more than 15 seconds. And then you're gonna go over and do a second exercise for 12. Um, so you could say maybe, a, let's say a horizontal back extension for 12. And then for 25, I don't know. I mean, uh, if we're talking explosive stuff, you could do a kettlebell swing, but I would probably maybe back away from that. I would say, let's say, let's say six reps, uh, deadlift, 12 reps, um, horizontal back extension, 25 reps, reverse hyper. Yeah, or what'd you say? Glute bridges. Yeah, 25 reps, 45 degree uh, back extension because it's hitting it at a different part of the strength curve or the length tension curve like Sean likes to call it. So, um, so that's one example. Um, another example, 6, 12, 25. Um, let's say we do six dips and then we go into 12 uh, chest presses. And uh, yeah, we could do that. And then 25 incline dumbbell presses. So we're hitting chest, chest, chest. 
Again, you only get 15 seconds or so in between. Um, you're hitting different angles. So you're getting the clavicular and the sternal head of the, of the pecs. Um, so th there's a lot of good things in there, um, but that's one of my favorites. Uh, why don't we go like ping pong back and forth? So why don't you go, Sean? Uh, drop sets I like, um, and I like exercises that induce uh, metabolic damage. And so with the drop set, the idea is to keep the blood in the muscle. Um, and so we're looking at doing, let's just say we're doing bicep curls cause why not? And so I'm going to drop set, I'm going to grab, I'm going to grab the 20 pound dumbbells and I'm going to crush 20. I'm going to grab whatever reps I can do with the twenties, put them back. Then I'm going to grab a weight lower, maybe the 15 pound dumbbells and I'm going to crush 15 pound dumbbell bicep curls, put those back when I fail and I'm dropping the reps down or I'm sorry, I'm keeping the reps high as I'm dropping the weight down, but this is more of a burnout. This is more of that metabolic stress that we're talking about. This is ways to increase the, like uh, decrease the oxygen in the muscle, which increases the ischemia hypoxia and builds a lot of that lactate and builds a lot of that uh, metabolic stress. So the drop sets I feel like are really common in bodybuilding. Um, it's the 21s, you know, you got the upper half, the curl, the bottom half, the curl, and then the full curl. And you're just, your arms are exploding, but um, right. that's that pump that uh, everyone's chasing is that metabolic stress. So I think the drop sets are a really good way to induce that. Another one that I like is rest pause and rest pause is, is similar to drop sets, but you keep the weight the same. So for example, you could go five, three, two or six, four, four. Um, but what you are doing is allowing, so let's say we do five, three, two, okay. Or five, let's say five, three, three. So you do five reps of a specific exercise. You only get 10 to 15 seconds rest. And then you do three, the exact same weight. And then 10 to 15 seconds rest. And you do three more reps. So if you add those all up, that's 11 reps. Um, because of the intraset rest, you actually can do more weight for those 11 reps than you would if you didn't rest at all. So that's a way to trick the body. And um, unsimilar to drop sets, it's actually more, it, it's, Easy, it's more easy on the nervous system. So I, I tend to use drop sets only after I've done rest pause a few times with, with clients who are new, who have never done those things uh, because it's just so, so demanding on the drop sets. Um, rest pause is kind of a good step to those drop sets. Um, so again, some of my favorites with rest pause are, are 533, 644 and 866. Um, and so, like I said, again, let's say you're doing a, a, a um, let's say a close grip bench press for triceps. You do six reps, rack the bar, count to 10, unrack the bar, four reps, count to 10, unrack the bar, four reps again. And by that fourth rep, third and fourth rep on that second set of four, you should be really grinding. Um, so that's another one of my favorites. Sean, you got another one? Yeah. Um, eccentrics for 10 to 12 reps. Uh, my, one of my favorite ways to grow muscle is that eccentric, that negative, that lengthening contraction. So a bicep curl is the, when the arm stretches, it pulls the muscle and eccentric contraction actually causes a lot of mechanical stress and muscle damage. The way the muscle protein from that eccentric contraction, you're literally ripping the muscle fiber uh, cross bridge off its attachment point. So you actually kind of rip the muscle away from its binding site, um, which does increase that mechanical stress. Uh, I like 10 to 12 reps, three to four seconds on that eccentric, uh, really common bodybuilding scheme. But again, we're stronger eccentrically 
by about 110 to 120 percent of our one rm eccentric so i've even done times where i'll do an assisted concentric or like say i'm doing a bench press i'll help you up on your bench press and i'm gonna let you just lower down really common i like to do it with pull-ups so i'll grab a box and set you up at the top of your pull-up position and just let you go slow negative jump back up there or get back on the box and just focus on that negative uh, yeah. is a really good way to get mechanical tension um, in a really safe manner because I'm not um, uh, overloading the, a poor a poor rep scheme on a concentric. All I got to do is lower it down. So I'm stronger by doing that. It gives me really good mechanical stress um, and it's pretty safe to do. And you're going to get a really, I like the 10 to 12 rep scheme on that. Again, it keeps us under our um, stamina building zone. It keeps us kind of right in the middle of that hypertrophy zone. But again, three to four seconds on an eccentric, it'll change your life. Yeah. You know, we, uh, I don't like to go too deep into the weeds because I'm trying to respect the audience and where their level is, but you mentioned that, that sarcomere and we talked earlier about sarcoplasmic hypertrophy as one of the three ways of hypertrophy. Yeah. And what I didn't know for the longest time, um, so we have the sarcomeres um, is that the eccentric load or the eccentric when the muscle is lengthening. So as you lower it slowly, I've talked about time under tension before and how it's important to have slower tempos most of the time in your training um, and how eccentric uh, strength is important for change of direction speed and injury prevention. Um, eccentric strength actually increases sarcomeres in series. So this way and the concentric increases sarcomeres parallel with each other. So um, don't think for a second that the eccentric isn't important. Um, you are missing a portion of, of growth of hypertrophy if you're not slowly lowering that weight before you know, driving it up fast. Um, I thought that was really interesting that the sarcomeres grow this way, but also grow this way. Eccentric is in series and concentric is in parallel. Um, Let's give one more each because I want to get this one. I love, I love, so as a side note to 6, 12, 25, if you want to go heavier, like we mentioned, we like heavier, you can go 3, 6, 12. You can, you can cut them all in half and have it be the same thing. Do three reps and then six reps and then 12 reps. Um, so you could do like three reps of a, of a lion hamstring curl and then six deadlifts and then 12 back extensions. Something like that would be a wonderful, wonderful series for your posterior chain, for your backside. Um, but my, my, my last rep range I want to talk about is um, uh, wave loading. And wave loading is one of my favorites for peaking. So as you're getting closer to the season, um, as you're getting ready for your competition, whatever it may be, maybe a tournament, um, and you can wave load different um, reps. So you could do 5-3-1, you could do 3-2-1, you could do 7-5-3, 10-8-6. My favorite for basketball is 7-5-3. So you're gonna do six sets. You're gonna do seven reps on the first set, then five reps on the second set, and then three reps, and then go and do it all over again. So seven, five, three, seven, five, three. And what happens is you're basically tricking the nervous system. You're building up the weight each set. So let's say you do seven reps of a bench press at 200, let's just say 100 kilos, and then five reps you can do, let's say 210 kilos, and then three reps you can do 220 kilos or 120 kilos, um, <laughs> when you go back to that seven, you will be able to do more because you've potentiated your nervous system. So that second seven, you might even be able to get the weight that you did for five, but at least you'll be able to go up. So in that first seven, you did 100, the second seven, you may do 105. And in that second five, 
you did, you can do maybe 115 instead of the 110 you did the first time. And then the third or, or, or the set of three, maybe you get 125 kilos. So you set basically a new benchmark for yourself um, because you primed the nervous system. And like we talked about earlier, um, six to eight is that functional hypertrophy. So you have, the, you have the sevens, but then you also have two sets of five and two sets of three. So you're getting into that strength. You're getting into that powerful, big, strong type 2B muscle fibers. As long as the weight is right, as long as the load is right, you'll be able to still grow, yet also uh, become stronger for the game of basketball. And I think 753 uh, wave loading is maybe my, my favorite rep scheme. Sean, what do you have? Your last one. Um, implement. So uh, if any of you guys have heard of a Katsu machine, it, I mean, you probably have unless you play pro basketball and been exposed to like some high level training facilities. Uh, they might have a Katsu machine or something that looks like it's on a cart and you strap it up to your arm or your leg and it, it puts pressure on your arm. Um, some people use a tourniquet or like literally something that they'll use in the hospital. They'll tie it around your arm, tie it off and you see the, the vein pop. So that's tourniquet style training which mimics the blood flow restriction. Uh, and that BFR, that blood flow restriction, again, is another metabolic type training. But um, there's a study done by uh, C.S. Fry et al. And blood flow restriction training stimulates mTOR, which is one of the major hormones for growth and uh, protein synthesis yep. and, and testosterone. But signaling in muscle protein synthesis is increased in older men doing blood flow restriction training. Um, so if you guys can simulate either with a Katsu machine or a like occluded like a tourniquet band for that uh again at a seven out of ten on the pressure uh you can mimic that that hypoxic ischemic environment that low oxygen um i used a katsu machine one of my buddies when we were going through grad school got loaned a katsu machine so he could do his uh research with it it's the craziest thing it measures your blood pressure it occludes your arm or leg the cuffs are super comfy um, and then it occludes. And then what you do essentially is a, if you're wearing something like that, you do a burnout set of like 20 to 30 reps. He gave me five pound dumbbells to do bicep curls with. And after I had the thing on my arms, the very first rep felt like I had already done 25 bicep curls. It was instantly an insane burn. And it just was miserable the whole time, but you're using five pound dumbbells. So it's like, Hey, your muscle's not going to be damaged. You're just going to feel really weird afterwards. And so um, something like that, a, a tool that mimics um, ischemia, I like. I'm finding out, Phil, as we're talking, all my hypertrophic methods that I just mentioned were all like on the uh, type one uh, metabolic stress <laughs> side of hypertrophy. Because we talked about my whole training. Every time I train, I do like less than four reps. And so... Yeah. I really don't do a lot of hypertrophy. And so personally for me, when I do hypertrophy, I like to do more of the metabolic demand because I get so much mechanical stress doing my squats, deadlifts, my Olympic work. Uh, I'm literally, as we're talking, I'm, I'm finding this out on my techniques. We're all metabolic. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but for you guys that are strength power athletes, this is good because you can do those high metabolic demands with less stress on the muscle, which yeah. saves you from being, you're going to be sore if it's new to you, obviously just anything new is sore, but because there's not as much protein degradation on those higher rep schemes, you're not damaging the muscle. You don't have to recover from that as much. You don't have a limitation to your performance because you're still be able to be explosive. You might be a little sore, but 
you're not reducing your force producing characteristics. And so um, I was just telling Phil before we start, I think it's the Rockets. I can't be certain. I got to double check, but there's actually a few NBA teams that are using the Katsu training device in season to maintain muscle mass because it doesn't damage the muscle fiber. Yeah, that's smart. That's really smart. And you mentioned it that just dawned on me too. I didn't go back to the, uh, I think it's important to note and to share with these basketball players, um, the easiest time, the easiest place, the easiest way to grow. And I mentioned the three things, the three simple things that eat, sleep, and train. Um, the best time to do it is immediately the first training block of the off season. Um, and it's very important not to play basketball at that time. Um, I mentioned, you know, that's why a lot of guys lose weight during the season because they're burning so many calories and they can't consume the amount to replace what they're burning because we burn, gosh, 600 to 1,000 calories every hour of basketball. Um, it's important to let your joints rest. You guys won't forget how to dribble a basketball. You guys won't forget how to jump high and dunk. You guys won't forget how to drop step, all these things. Get off the court for four to six weeks. Focus on your training, all right? You have to eat in a caloric surplus. I made a video for this. If you want it, just comment below mass. I'll be happy to share it with you. Um, but you have to eat in a caloric surplus. You have to train hard. I like two exposures a week. So upper body Monday, Thursday, lower body Tuesday, Friday. You're getting two exposures of all your muscle groups, uh, all your body parts twice a week. And the most important thing, <clears throat> you have to sleep enough. And typically it's nine hours. That's the goal. If you want to grow, you, you, you break down the muscle, you do the damage uh, during the training, you feed it with the food, and then you grow during the sleep. That's, that's, it's, it couldn't be any simpler. Um, and I actually, I pulled up all these and then I forgot I wanted to share them. Um, uh, let's just share the whole screen. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. So these are some of my, my athletes that I worked with. Um, this guy's playing division one in Russia and he's doing a damn good job this year. Uh, he's a starter. Uh, he was on the Lithuanian under 20 national team for a long time. He put, you can see his shoulders, just how much bigger he got. Look at his posture. Um, definitely got hypertrophy in the beard, beard <laughs> significant, significant gains. Um, he put on uh, five and a half kilos in about six weeks. Um, he was up about 11 and a half pounds. Um, Another guy, Scott Deal, um, he put on 10 pounds in eight weeks, okay? So uh, 10 pounds in eight weeks, um, so it is doable. Um, uh, one of my favorite guys to work with, Ovidius Galdicus, uh, his last year was Division One in Spain. Uh, he put on eight kilos in just seven weeks. Um, so over a kilo a week, 18 pounds. The, uh, the California sunshine didn't hurt his, his, uh, his body at all there. Um, oh, there's me. We won't go into that. This gal gained muscle and lost lost body fat. She wanted to do a, a fitness competition. This gal too. Um, this gal just she lost. Gosh, it was only four weeks, um, and she dropped, and then you know just looked fabulous. Um, there's Ovi. Yeah, that was the last. Um, so at the end of this, um, he signed uh, with New York uh, with the Knicks for the Las Vegas Summer League. And uh, and did a great, you know, it was uh, Kristaps Porzingis rookie year, um, so he didn't get a whole lot of run, um, but but he had a look in the NBA. And then after this, he got a tryout with the uh, with the LA Clippers, 
Um, so adding muscle can definitely work, can definitely help you. Um, he trained with that other guy, Agardis, and, and at, the, at the time they were both like, especially Ovi, he was like, I can't believe how much bigger I am, yet how much faster I feel, how much more explosive I feel. Um, and it's because we were, like we talked about, using all those type two fibers, getting them strong, getting them more explosive. Um, but he was eating enough, he was sleeping enough, um, we were off the court for most of that time. So it was a perfect environment to grow. Um, and that's my, my parting thought. Sean, do you have any parting thoughts? Uh, make sure your rep scheme's hard. Just don't undersell your weight for your rep scheme. That's the most important thing. Hypertrophy, you got to be struggling on your last rep. Whatever the rep scheme is, just strain factor. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. And so I was talking to a guy in the group the other day. He messaged me and, and he was doing... Gosh, what was it? It was something like he was, I can do 50 kilos overhead press. So for 10 reps, I'm doing 12 kilos. And I was like, no, you're not going to grow. Because again, like Sean said, the reps have to match the weight. If you get to, if you're trying to do 10 and you get to 10 and you say, oh, I could have done 14, it's too light. You should be grinding on that last one or two reps. Um, reps and weight have to match. Sean, I love that. That's couldn't be better to part with on a hypertrophy day. Thank you so much for that. Um, until next week, uh, hope you guys all have beard gains as well, like Sean and I. And, uh, and if there's any questions on hypertrophy, um, or if you want to see that video I made the other day um, for mass, just um, comment mass below, and I'll be happy to to uh, to do that and share that with you. Sean, what's your website? SeanDoesStrength.com. SeanDoesStrength.com. You can check me out at GetPartStrength.com uh, and on YouTube. And until next week, go get big. Get big.